0: Would you remain standing at all of our locations as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today. I'm going to be going to Matthew chapter number uh, 18, Matthew chapter number 18, beginning in verse number 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay, and his master commanded that he would be sold with his wife and his children, and all that he had and that payment would be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, "'Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all.' Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and they came and they told their master all that had been done. Then his master said, after he called him in, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as he had pity on you? And his master was angry and he delivered him to his torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from your heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Today I wanna continue in our series, The Broadway. As in the broad decisions, the Broadway decisions that we can sometimes make that can wreck our lives. And today I want to talk to you about what sounds like almost a conundrum in its title, but I hopefully you'll understand by the time we're over with the sermon. I want to talk to you about the subject, remembering to forget. Remembering to forget. And the Broadway decision specifically I want to talk to you about is unforgiveness. How many of you know unforgiveness? can wreck your life. You know, sometimes we think getting back at people is the way to go, but I'm going to tell you that if you carry bitterness around in your heart, it will wreck your life. And the way and the key to getting past unforgiveness is to remember so that you can forget. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every heart, would you make this message real practical and relevant to every person? Would you help some people today that may be struggling in this area? Would you equip some people for when they do struggle in this area? I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Mike, switch. Yes, which one you want me to get? That one? This one? What's that? I just don't need this? What am I going to do with my hands now? Like, I'm going to fail, you know, you know how you handicap an Italian, by the way, you put something in his hand because when he talks and he can't use his hands. All right, I give this to Pastor Brandon. You may be seated, by the way. Sorry, I probably just went off camera anyway. I want to begin by sharing with you a joke about computer gender. And uh, whether they're male or female, you know, big argument going on in, in the computer world, whether a computer should re- be referred to as a she or a he. And so to settle the argument, they got a group of computer experts together, a group of women together on one team, and a group of men together on the other team. And they, they were told to to list four reasons why... They think that it should be called either male or female. So the ladies got together, and um, the lady said that, I think that computers should be referred to as masculine because, number one, in order to get their attention, you got to turn them on. No, not too, too risky for church. Second reason they gave is they have a lot of data. They should be called masculine. Because they have a la- lot of data, but they're, they're really clueless. Third reason they gave, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but sometimes they are the problem fourth thing the lady said is as soon as you commit to one you realize that if you have waited a little while longer you could have got a better version right that was for the ladies so all the ladies said amen the men on the other hand they they got together and they concluded that computers should be referred to as female or feminine because number one no one but the creator understands their internal logic some of you guys are scared to laugh The native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everybody else, right? As soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half of your salary on accessories for it. And the last reason the guys gave why computers should be referred to as a feminine gender is even the smallest mistakes are stored in their long-term memory for later retrieval. Everybody know what I'm talking about. And that really is the launching point from which I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about this idea of remembering in order to forget. When it comes to this, this big Broadway life-wrecking decision of unforgiveness, and it almost sounds counterintuitive that in order to forgive... You have to remember so that you can forget and therefore move on and forgive. And it almost seems like, Pastor, there's no way that I should remember in order to forget and to forgive. Matter of fact, a lot of people think that the way to forgive, the way to get past unforgiveness is to block everything out of your mind. That the primary way that you get to a place where you can forgive is if you just say, you know what, I don't even want to think about what they did. I don't even want to hear their name anymore. I don't want to even recall the hurt. I don't want to relive all the tears. I don't, want to, I don't want to rehash the circumstances. I don't want to drive by where they live. I don't want to see their picture anywhere. I just want to block it completely out. And if I block it completely out, then I'll forget about it. And if I've blocked it out and forgotten about it, then maybe I'll be able to forgive. But how many of you know when you block it out of your mind, it doesn't always get rid of the pain that's in your heart. See, just blocking it out sounds like it might work, but it really doesn't work. You know, some people, you need to realize that when, when you, when people say, well, Pastor, you know, if I, if I really try to, to remember, then all I'm going to do is want revenge. If I try to remember everything that happened, I'm going to want to get even with them. I'm going to want to strangle them. I wanna, I'm going to want to pay them back. And if I'm a Christian, I, I know I can't do that. So, Pastor, I'm normally with you. But this whole idea of getting past unforgiveness by remembering in order to forget Pastor, it's the silliest thing that I've ever heard in my life. But it's a really, really important principle. I'm gonna teach you why it's so important and what it is that you, you do need to remember because forgiveness is this huge, big thing, especially for us as Christians, isn't it? I mean, after all, it's kind of like the whole basis of our faith. Matter of fact, it's Jesus's thing. Forgiveness is kind of like his thing. Wherever Jesus went, wherever he walked around, forgiveness was Jesus's thing. And and so when we come to our text, he he understands that forgiveness was Jesus's thing. You know, he's been hanging around with him for, for a really long time. And so he comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question. He's like, Jesus, how many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus? And this is not really a question. This is more of Pete fishing for a compliment. He's been around Jesus, and he knows that that forgiveness is Jesus' thing, and so he's trying to impress Jesus. He's trying to say to Jesus, Jesus, I I get it, right? You're into this whole forgiveness thing, and and I understand that that we ought to be really forgiving if if we're going to be followers of you. And see, rabbis at the time taught that you only had to forgive your brother or your a person who wronged you up to three times. And then if they did the same thing three times, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. You can treat him as an enemy. And so Pete knows this. He's been hanging around Jesus. He's watching Jesus do his forgiveness thing. And he wants to impress Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, I know, I know, I know. How often should I forgive my brother? I'm going to up my forgiveness quotient. I'm going from three to seven, Jesus. What do you think about that, Jesus? And he's expecting Jesus to be like, man, Pete, you really got this thing. Pete, I mean, uh, I guess hanging out with me has helped you, Pete. But you know, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus kind of looks at Pete and he goes, hey, Pete, maybe I haven't rubbed off on you like I thought. Because see, what you think is that this whole forgiveness thing is a matter of counting. You think that this whole forgiveness thing is a matter of, you know, somebody does something to you and then you forget about it. And then somebody does something to you and you forget about it. And then somebody does something to you and you forget about it. And you think that you're going to raise your standard from three to seven. But Pete, here's what I need you to know. I haven't come to raise the standard. I've come to change the system of forgiveness. This isn't a matter of, you know, how many times you can block somebody out of your out of what they did out of your heart. This isn't a matter of how many times, you know, you could turn the other cheek and and, and kind of go through this game of forgetting about it, which by the way never works. Everybody always remembers what other people did to them. So so what are you talking about 3 to 7 Pete? That's that's not really how we go about this, Pete. You don't just block it out of your mind there's a new system of forgiveness it's no longer tit for tat it's no longer evil for evil it's no longer you do this to me and I do that to you it's no longer counting it no longer has a, a, you know a maximum amount on it Pete, I want you to forgive notice what Jesus says seven times 70 times. And you know what religious people do? They're like, well, I mean, that's a lot, but all right, I'll, I'll forgive somebody 490. But when I get up to 490, you're not going to like me anymore. I'm going to turn into the incredible Hulk and all of a sudden, I'm just going to let you have it, you know? This system of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about is better than endgame. You don't have to go back in time and change the past. In, I'm sorry, spoiler alert right there. See, Jesus is saying to Pete, There's a new way to go about this forgiveness thing. it's It's not just counting anymore. And by the way, 490 is a significant number. I don't know if you recognize this. Jesus didn't just pick this number out of the air. Jewish time, if you read Daniel chapter number 9, revolved around 770 year time periods. And Jewish time believed that at the end of these 490 years was going to come the end of the world, the end of the age, and a new heaven and a new earth. And so Jesus is talking to Jewish people that think that the world revolves around these 70, 7 seventy-seven. Uh, seven, 70-year periods of time, and then they think the world is going to end. And so what Jesus is saying, when you become my follower, guess what? You've got to forgive until the end of time. There's never a time where it's okay for a Christ follower to carry with them in their heart this bitterness and this unforgiveness. Pete, you've got to forgive until the end of time. Now, you've got to put yourself in Pete's shoes. His mind is blown right now. Pete's going but that's just too hard, Jesus. Jesus, you really mean to tell me no matter how many times somebody does something to me, no matter how often, how hurtful it is, no matter what they've done, that I need to not harbor unforgiveness in my life? Jesus, that is just much too difficult. How am I gonna do that? By the way, that's why forgiveness is a narrow road virtue. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life. And what it means by narrow, hard, difficult, it's not necessarily easy. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. How many of you know it's a lot easier to harbor unforgiveness in your heart than it is to let somebody go in your heart? It's a lot easier to get even with somebody than it is to, you know, bless somebody that has done wrong to you. See, forgiveness is a narrow way, virtue. And so he goes up to Pete. He says, Pete, i got to really explain this thing to you. And he tells them, and this is why I love Jesus, he tells them what I would consider to be a soprano-like story. Anybody remember the Sopranos? You remember the Sopranos? Now, I know you shouldn't watch that because you're all Christians and stuff like that. Just watch the one that they edit all the curses out and all of that kind of stuff in And then it's kind of cool. And by the way, did you know they're coming out with a new Sopranos? Are you excited about this? It's called Newark. It's about the upbringing of Tony Soprano. I can't wait for it. And, and Jesus tells Pete this, this little story soprano style and the principle the moral of the story is pete here's what i need you to do in order for you to get past unforgiveness in order for you to move beyond the life wrecking choice to harbor unforgiveness in your heart and move into that place that's life giving of forgiveness i need you to remember to forget that's the principle that jesus is teaching And he asks us to remember a few different things. The first thing he needs us to remember in order to forget, number one, remember what Christ has done for us. See, that's really the principle of the story. Now, in order for you to get this, I, I need to just read you a little portion of the story as if it was the only portion of the story Jesus told. Verse number 28, check it out with me. But that servant went out, the servant that was forgiven, that servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, which is about three months worth of salary. And he laid his hands on him. Watch this. This is why I say it's soprano style. And he took him where? By the throat. <laughs> soprano style, right? He went, Paulie Walnuts on the guy. He grabbed the guy by the neck and he said, you better pay me everything that you owe me. It's literally what Jesus said happened. Am I, am I, am I, just, am I being sincere to the text? Watch this. His fellow servant fell down. At his feet, he begged him. He said, have, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but he went and he threw him into prison till he should pay all the debt. Now, I'm kind of being funny with the whole Paulie Walnuts, Sopranos thing, but, but if all we knew about the story was this is what happened, that a guy ran into another guy that owed him three months worth of a salary. That's a lot of money. Quarter of a year's Salary. He grabbed him by the neck and he told him, he said, you better pay me everything you owe me. Most of us would think that's a little extreme, but I mean, the guy did all the money. It's a lot of money to owe somebody. In Bible times, they, they actually allowed for vigilante justice. If somebody did something against you, you could go and literally grab them by the neck, by, you know, the toga, if you will, or whatever they call the dashiki, whatever it is they call the robe. And you would drag them off to court. And, and the reason why they did this was, I guess it was their way of keeping government small, you know, let everybody police themselves. And you were able to drag them before court. So it's not really that the guy went Paulie Walnuts on him. It's that he was following what was the custom of the day when somebody did you wrong you can run into him you can grab him by the neck and you can take him off to court now when most of us read this if that's all we knew happened most of us would be like little extreme but like the guy had it coming to him didn't he i mean justice was served pay your bills if you, if, if you owe somebody three months salary you ought to at least try to pay him back you ought to give it and so the guy had it coming to him but that's not all that was in the story What's really interesting about this story is that moments before, not days before, not weeks before, but moments before he ran into his friend, he also had a run-in with a collection agency. The guy that that took his friend in and grabbed him by the throat, he had a a run-in not with Paulie Walnuts, but with Tony Soprano himself. He had a run-in with the king. He had a run-in with the don of the family. Can you see why I love Jesus? He tells stories Italian style. I love Jesus, right? And and and, and he walks into the king, and the king he owes the king ten thousand talents. Ten thousand talents. How much is ten thousand talents? Well, it would be the equivalent of the entire uh, income of Herod the Great's kingdom at that time was was 900 talents. The entire income of Herod the Great's kingdom at that time was 900 talents. This guy owed the king 10,000 talents, more than 11 times the income of Herod the Great's kingdom. So he owed him something that he could never, ever, ever pay back in a million years. And he gets called into the king's office, and the king forgives him this debt that he couldn't pay back, no way, no how, no matter how hard he worked, just because the king had pity on him. And check it out, look what happened. But as he was not able to pay, verse number 25, his master commanded that he be sold, with his wife, his children, all that he had, and that payment be made, because that was the custom in the day, that if you owed somebody money, you couldn't pay them back, that your whole family would have to be kind of like, you know, uh, taken in and, and sold so that you can get this money paid back. And then it says, the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. This is a huge turn of events. Remember, Pete is listening to this story. How often should I forgive? And he goes, well, you know, there's this one guy, and he took somebody by the throat who owed him three months' worth of a salary. And it was the same guy that had been forgiven by the king of Israel. 10,000 talents, modern day money, 75 to 100 million dollars. And not only was he forgiven, but the king basically completely erased the debt as if it never even happened. In other words, here's the guy, he's before the king, the king is ready to take his whole family, sell them all, throw them in the prison, and the guy says, please have mercy on me. And the king, you know what the king says? Forget about it. Don't even worry about it. As if it never even happened before. Now you got to understand that when the king said forget about it, there was an implied favor on letting the guy go from the big debt that he had. The way I envision this going is something like this. Check this out. Be my friend. Godfather. Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Grazie. Grazie. First time I saw The Godfather, I was like, why can't we understand the guy? You know? Here's what he basically said. He said, he said, there's going to come a day where I may ask you for a favor. But until that, and that day may never happen, but until that day comes, consider this to be an act of my kindness. Do you know when the king in the story forgave the guy the debt, there was this implied, listen, there's going to come a day where I'm going to ask you to do a favor. When that day comes, I expect you to repay, if you will, my kindness. Now what is the bible talking about there. Well listen to what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 32 and we'll bring this all together. He says be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another even as Christ as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Here's what the story is really all about and we, we made it seem fun and we made it seem like you know it was the Italian thing and a godfather thing and just so we could remember but here's what really happened. Here's what the story Jesus is telling Peter. He's saying, Pete, in order for you to forgive people, not seven times, but chronically forgive people forever and ever and ever again, you need to remember what Christ did so you can forget what they've done to you. You need to remember what Christ did for you so you can forget what they did to you. And the reason why this guy in the story harbored unforgiveness in his heart is because he forgot the huge debt that he was forgiven of. He forgot that comparatively speaking, he was forgiven of so much more than what somebody had did to him. Here's what God is saying to us, that if we're ever going to get to a place where we could, as God's kids, live in this place where we forgive from our heart, when we don't harbor unforgiveness in our heart, we need to remember what Christ has done for us. And Christ did so much for us. Can I tell you where the power to forgive comes from? Can I tell you where the power, not to just get it out of your mind, but to release it from your heart comes from? It comes from remembering that on the cross, Christ forgave us of a debt that we couldn't pay back in a million lifetimes. It was well beyond us. It was like seventy-five to a hundred million dollars. And Christ said, forget about it. Remember on the cross what he said? He said, it is finished. Here's what that literally means in the cultural context. It's an accounting term, tetelestai. And it literally means paid in full, the whole thing all of our sin debts, everything that we've ever done wrong in the past, in the present, in the future, paid for on the cross so that you and I could be right with God. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, it says it like this. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Canceled, paid in full, treated as if it never happened, forgotten about. See, there's a lot of things that God remembers about you and I. He remembers our name. Isn't that amazing? God of the universe remembers our name. I have people walk up to me in a grocery store. We have a few thousand people who come to church here. And there are some people, I don't know their name. And I, I used to try to like pretend like I did. Like, hey, hi, hi, hello. And then I was just like, look, I know you come to church. Can you just tell me your name? Take me out of my misery for a second here. You know? And, and I, I try to do good at it, but sometimes I forget. But, but the God of the universe, with the billions of people on the planet, he knows every single one of us by name. He remembers our name. That's amazing to me. He also remembers our need. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 18 says, he knows what you need for before you even ask. And then he promises, I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He remembers our need. The God of the universe, not only that, but he remembers our tears. In the book of Revelation, it says he keeps them in a bottle. No wasted tears. And not only does he remember our tears, but he remembers our kindness to other people. The book of Ephesians says that whatever good thing we do for somebody else, God will do the same thing for us. Not only does he remember our kindness, he remembers our service to him. He says, know this, that your labor, your service, your labor is not in vain. And and matter of fact, when you work for God, God says this. He says, I'll give you the recompense. I'll give you the reward. So God remembers all these wonderful things. But you know the greatest thing that God remembers for us? It's not our name. It's not our need. It's not our kindness to others. It's not our service to the kingdom. It's not any of those things. The greatest thing that God remembers as it concerns us is the cross of his son. And every time that God remembers that cross, guess what happens? He forgets our sin. Every time he remembers that cross, he forgets our sin. Look at what the scripture says. Jeremiah 31 verse number 34 says, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. And then in the message version, it ends with God's decree. How many of you know what happens when a king makes a decree? Can't take it back. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, every time I remember that cross, I'm gonna completely forget your sin. Act as if it never, ever happened. It's like that song that we sing, Grace to Grace, how wonderful, how glorious, my Savior's cross. Victorious, my chains are gone, my debt is paid. From death to life, from grace to grace. When I see that cross, I see freedom. When I see that grave, I see Jesus. From death to life, I will sing your praise in the wonder of your grace. Whenever God remembers that cross, he forgets our sin. What's he saying to us? He's saying, listen, you want to you release unforgiveness from your heart? You need to remember. Remember what Christ did for each and every one of us. We had a sin debt that was so big, we could not pay it. But because of that, he paid that sin debt that was so big, even though he didn't owe it. And if we'll remember, we'll be able to forget, not in the sense of wipe it from our memory. Here's what the biblical term forget means. It means take the sting out of it when it applies to you and I. It means to treat somebody as if it never, ever happened. The word justified, just as if it never happened. This is how we release unforgiveness. But the second thing that we need to remember if we're gonna release unforgiveness is that we need to remember that what Christ did for us, listen to me carefully, is really, truly, Really, 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 I want to emphasize this word, really, really is an act of grace. If we are going to get rid of unforgiveness in our heart, we need to remember that what Christ did for us is really, 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 truly, I promise you, a complete act of grace. Look at it in the text, verse number 25. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, He released him and he forgave his debt. He wasn't moved because the guy said, I'll pay you back. Because guess what? He knew there was no way the guy would ever be able to pay him back. If the guy worked a thousand lifetimes, he wouldn't be able to pay him back. He wasn't moved because of that. He wasn't moved because the guy groveled. He was moved in his heart to do it out of a free will act because he wanted to. Grace is realizing that there is nothing we can do or have done to deserve or earn God's forgiveness. It's impossible to do. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter two, verse number eight, listen to it. You were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. How many of you know that's a fact? God treats, aren't you glad God treats us so much better ...than we deserve. Sometimes I think, if God is treating me today like I deserve to be treated, I better watch out. Treat us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you, and not anything that you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned, so there is nothing that you can brag about. The guy received forgiveness by grace, but he didn't understand it. He didn't think that he really, really, really was forgiven just because of the king's kindness. And this is the reason why as soon as he ran into somebody, he thought, I know the king said I'm forgiven, but I know he didn't mean that. I've got to go and do something in order to pay back the king. And so what did he do? He treated somebody else with unforgiveness to get money from him so he can go pay the king when the king had already freed him. Isn't the way that this this is the way you and I act? You know, God's like, listen, no, no, forgiven. No, no, made righteous. No, no, justified. But God, if I do this, will you answer my prayer? And God, if I show up for church two times this week, will I be right with you then? We do all these things like Pete to almost earn brownie points with Jesus. Jesus, I've been hanging out with you. I'm gonna raise my standard of forgiveness from three to seven times. Are you gonna love me now, Jesus? It really, really is. Really, really, truly an act of grace. And here's what happened because the guy didn't understand that. Even though he was free, he picked up the weight that he was freed from when he tried to pay somebody else back. A lot of times we think we free ourselves of the weight of heaviness when we try to get somebody back for what they did to us. But here's what happens. When you try to pay somebody back, you pick that weight up that you've been freed from again. And notice what happened. Even though the guy was set free, his unforgiveness put him back in prison. That's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness will throw you who have been saved, who have been sanctified, who have been freed, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have the joy of God and the peace of God. Unforgiveness will put you right back in a prison. And so he wants us to remember it really, really is an act of grace. Can I just... Share something that might set somebody free. If you're waiting for somebody to earn your forgiveness to deserve it, you're going to be waiting forever and ever and ever. Because here's the thing nobody ever deserves or earns forgiveness. Because the fact of the matter is, once somebody hurts you, that hurt happened, can't be undone. And so nobody deserves it. We've got to realize that it really, really, really is an act of grace that we don't have to perform for it, that it really is God's good pleasure and God's joy to forgive us. Matter of fact, that's the second aspect of grace that I want to share with you. It's realizing and understanding that God loves, in this case, to forgive us. That He really, really loves to. That, that, He's, that He's looking for every opportunity to forgive us, sadly, most of us are reluctant in our understanding of that. Most of us think that that, that God is kind of like, oh, you did it again? I guess I'm going to have to forgive you because of what Jesus did, but I'm really getting fed up with you now. And if you keep doing that, there's going to come a day when I'm just not going to forgive you anymore. Oh, but, you know, the cross, it makes me have to do it. So, okay, you're forgiven. It's kind of like, The way most of us think God deals with us. But I want you to remember the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. Remember that story? He did everything to disgrace the father, he wished his father was dead. He went and wasted his his father's inheritance that his father worked so hard for. He disgraced the family name. I mean, he just, he sinned in every way possible. You would have thought that the father would have wrote him off because he did the worst that you could possibly do. But when you read the story, the Bible says that it gives the impression that almost every day the father was out there looking for the son to come home. And then one day, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. When the son was still a great way off, his father saw him, and notice what the Bible said, had compassion on him, and he ran to him, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Now, you got to understand what this means in its cultural context. In Bible times, this, this dad was an aristocrat. And there were certain things that aristocratic dads would never do. Remember when you were growing up, there were certain things your dad would never do? Right, my dad, you know, never would wear um, jeans. Never, never would wear shorts. Sorry, always jeans. My dad would never wear sandals without black socks. I'm like, Dad, come on, man, just just take the take the black socks off, right? Maybe your dad would never admit that he was wrong. You know, certain things that dads would never do. Well, in Bible times, aristocratic dads would never run. Aristotle said this: great men don't run. It was beneath them. It, It signified desperation. Here's this here's this son who has disgraced the father who has sinned against the Father in every way possible. And instead of the dad writing the son off, what does the dad do? He looks out for him. As soon as he sees him, motion to come back, he runs towards him. What's he running towards him for? To forgive him. I don't know who told you that there are things that you can do that God won't forgive you of. But I'm here to tell you, there is nothing on this earth that God won't forgive you of. Nothing that you can do. God loves loves you that much. He wants to forgive you. He's dying to forgive you. He's running to forgive you. And if that hasn't caused the penny to drop, remember the prayer of Jesus on the cross. Luke chapter 22, verse 34. Then the scripture says, key word, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they Charles Spurgeon was commenting on this particular verse of Scripture and specifically on the word then. And here's what he wrote. He said, Then, as in when man had done his worst, then, as in when the vileness of the human heart was in climactic devilry, then, when the wicked hands of the creature dared to crucify the Creator, then he might have uttered an awful mal- maledictions over them. Then he might have let loose the thunderbolts of righteous wrath and slain them. Then he may have caused the earth to open up her mouth and swallow them alive. But no, though subjugated to unspeakable shame, though suffering excruciating pain, though despised, rejected, and hated, nevertheless he cries, Father, Forgive them. When Samson came to his dying hour, he used his great strength to pray for the destruction of his enemies. When Stephen the martyr was being stoned, first he cried for God to receive his spirit and then he prays for God not to hold the sin to their charge but when our Savior hung on the cross to pay a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we could not pay. He didn't pray for the destruction of his enemies like Samson. He didn't pray first for the Lord to receive his spirit like Samson but our Lord first prayed for us. He first prayed Father forgive them and then he yelled into thine hand I commit my spirit that my friends is not the prayer of a God reluctant to grant forgiveness, but one who loves to forgive. He loves to forgive us, looking for every opportunity to forgive us. There's nothing that we can ever do that God would say, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Maybe you came in here and you kind of pulled yourself to church and maybe whenever you get in the presence of, of God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you feel some kind of way because you feel dirty because maybe you're a Christian and you're, there's things in your life that, that you shouldn't have in your life. And that's okay to feel that way. That's conviction. But here's what I want you to do. God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants to free you. God is ready. He's running to forgive you in every single way. And God wants you to remember that the same kind of forgiveness... That's an act of grace that God gives to each and every one of us. It's the same kind of forgiveness that we owe to every person. No matter how bad they've hurt us, no matter what they've done to us, God says you got to release it in your heart. How? By remembering in order to forget what Jesus did.